Welcome to Mortgage Motivation with Mimi Duce, branch manager of GMFS Mortgage Acadiana, NMLS 128546, Tennessee License 134733. Here's some advice you can use in your life. Hi, I'm Mimi Duce, host of Mortgage Motivation, mortgage expert, certified coach, and speaker. Thank you to Maison Title and all three locations, Grand Coteau, Lafayette, Lake Charles, for servicing the entire state of Louisiana and sponsoring the podcast. To find out more information about Maison Title, you can find them on all social media channels and of course at MaisonTitle.com. Welcome to another episode of Mortgage Motivation. I am super excited to have Mr. Troy Bear with Ladder and Bloom. Thank you so much for being here. But also I was introduced to Troy by a good friend and I was so amazed with your story and your life and the things that you've overcome in life. I mean, you know, my good friend Kelly Strever always spoke to me, you know, Troy is just a wonderful person. And everyone that you have surrounded yourself with at your office is constantly how good of an individual. Until the day I sat down and had that conversation with you, I was like, this is a man of God. He is amazing. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for coming. I'm happy to be here. Well, let's, be here. let's start from the beginning because it's, it's just a wonderful story and I would love to share it with everyone. Where are you from? How you got started? Let's talk about some of the trials that, you know, you struggled with in life and just start from the beginning. Well, let's see. I actually grew up in Milton, Louisiana, where that's where my roots are. My uh, A-Bears from there. I moved to Lafayette. I think it was from about 13 or 14. Ended up eventually going to uh, Lafayette High, UL, and did both my undergrad and, and graduate degrees from there. Just been ingrained in this community for a long time. I got into real estate business around 2003. I had a very short-lived time frame in sales. And then I was, for whatever reason, I was asked if I would consider management. And someone felt the calling to take that approach. I think that, as you said earlier, I've been through through a lot in my life. And I think that from management, you can take a lot of what you've learned in your life and how to overcome certain certain situations or certain things, or maybe take a different viewpoint on things based on your life experiences. But I had a pretty big experience that happened to me early in my life that also really, I guess, challenged my faith at the same time. At the age of 11, I was playing baseball, just like I did every summer and ended up hurting my right leg during a game. Injury never got better. It even got to a point to where not only would it swell, but I would find myself where it would just, my knee would just buckle and give out on me. So we, we just assumed I tore something and that uh, we went to a local orthopedist. And at that time, a tumor about the size of a softball was found in my right leg. I ended up having a biopsy, which determined that it was malignant. It was a severe form of bone cancer called osteosarcoma, and life expectancy was short. There were more people dying from it than surviving it. And no one here in Acadiana area was very successful at a high rate. And so we ended up finding out that uh, St. Jude's in Memphis ended up just opened up a solid tumor division and we're doing treatments and studies on my type of cancer. So thanks to Dr. Rainey here in Lafayette, local oncologist, he made some phone calls and, um, and I was able to get in and went there. Ultimately, it was determined that my right leg would have to be amputated. You know, that's a- At age 11. At age 11. Yeah. You know 
who at 11 did you know mm-hmm. that had lost a leg? I think today you see more prevalence of it, especially since a lot of the soldiers have been to Iraq and Afghanistan, and you see a lot of them coming back. But at that time, only people that I knew with missing a leg were older people and people, no one my age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was a struggle to overcome and, and accept that. And I did. But, you know, my dad, my parents, you know, my grandparents, very faith-based. And, you know, the prayer warriors were coming strong, right? We had so many people praying. We would make trips to Charlene's grave at least once a month. And we just prayed and prayed and prayed through the whole scenario. But I also looked at it for some reason at a young age that I wasn't going to let it consume me. And I was going to figure out a way to overcome it. And I made a lot of progress. And in, in six months, I started learning how to walk again, moving forward. Things were going great. And then about six months later, I was kind of stunned with the news that I had reoccurred. Oh, wow. I didn't remember that part. So I did reoccur. And it was in the lungs. Um, we were told that if you would reoccur with osteosarcoma, even though it was a bone cancer, the likeliness of reoccurrence would be in the lungs. For whatever reason, I guess I was just watching over the six or so months that I was at St. Jude's, so many people with the same situation that I had. But they also, I noticed that, you know, they were going through chemotherapy and I was watching them suffer and how tough it was. And so I had this thoughts of like, I just didn't want to take chemotherapy. So... They said, well, you need to start chemotherapy, but um, I guess we could do surgery. And I immediately just said to my mom, that's what I want to do. I want to do surgery. So he said, okay. We went in in my right side and removed the tumor from my chest area and came back a month or so later to find out that there was another tumor. Oh, wow. And that tumor was now on the left side. And so they're like, well, you know, we should start chemotherapy. And I said, uh, no, no, I want to I wanna do surgery again. Now, mind you, I'm still 11 at mm-hmm. this time, and I'm really pushing my family in directions that are opposite of where the doctors wanted to go. So we did so. A few months went by. It seemed like we were on a good course. It hadn't reoccurred. And eventually I would reoccur again. And ultimately, in the course from January through November, I had five lung operations to remove tumors from my chest. After the fifth lung operation, the doctor looked at me and said, you know, we've removed about the equivalent of a lung in total. You can't, you can't have another surgery. This is it. And we don't believe that you're cancer-free in your chest. The cells are just there, and they're coming. And at that time, I guess medical advance, we probably can see them sooner now but at that time you're talking 1981 Mm -hmm. early 1982 you know it probably had to get about the size of a quarter for the detection and so I always get kind of emotional at this moment he said uh you're going to start chemotherapy tomorrow and I looked to him and I said no I'm not and he looked at my dad and he said uh look this has got to this has got to end you're going to make this boy do this and I said look I have sat and watched over the last year and a half. I've made friends that have gone through exactly what I've gone through, had the lung operations, had the chemotherapy, had it all. And I said, and they died suffering. I don't want to do that. They were like, no, you've got to start tomorrow. I said, 
look, it's in God's hands. If he sees fit, it'll be good. If not, then I go home. And I'm good with that. I'm at peace with that. So, um, you know, I'm sure it was a ton of pressure on my parents. I was as adamant as I could be. It was close to Christmas time. So my dad said, let me just take him home for Christmas and we'll come back. And they said, well, you need to come back in January. When you come back in January, we're going to talk about chemotherapy. And I was, I'm like, well, I'm not doing it. So it's, it's, I don't, they can talk all they want. Now I'm 12 saying this. So we come back. We don't even read hard. I'm sure my parents had tons of conversations about it, obviously. But we had no conversations with me. And we went back in January. They said, look, you know, we don't see any tumors in your chest. However, we've been down this road. You've been as far as three months before we've seen another tumor. You got to start chemotherapy and we suggest you start tomorrow. And I said, nope, I'm going home. You had that inner feeling. You just knew. I said, I'm going home. I'm just, I'm just I'm putting it in his hands. Mm-hmm. It's, this is what it'll be. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why my dad started to buy in on this. And I, I joke about this a lot. My dad is an ex-Marine. You know, it's his way or the highway. And you don't tell him, he tells you. And for whatever reason, he was just kind of buying in. He was also a very health conscious guy. So as we were buying in, he was like, well, then we're going to just, we're going to get healthy. We're going to work out. We're going to do this. You know, my mom had him every vitamin you could think of. And we're going to go after this. And we're going to see where this goes. I will come back every month. They would do, you know, the full body, everything. You're clear, but you need to start chemotherapy. And it was like, I'm going home. So every month turned into every three months. Every three months eventually turned into every six months. And every six-month visit eventually turned into every year. And it was a total bafflement of the physicians at St. Jude's. Still to this day, there's no one that was going there that had what I had, reoccurred and had what I had, and beat it without one ounce of any form of treatment. And they just remained baffled other than... It's a miracle, you know, and it's just never happened. But I had this conviction of going a different route and probably what makes me somewhat of a good manager today. Even at a young age, I just kind of really paid attention to my surroundings. And I really started noticing how, you know, people were just suffering and not making it. Another interesting story that happened through that was our very first visit to little Charlene's grave. Um was um, not long after the amputation, I was not very stable, I guess, in walking. It was my mom, my sister, my two grandmothers, and we went to Church Point, and we arrived there, and we'd never been there. It was under the encouragement of a relative. My mom hadn't even heard of little Charlene at the time. And we went over there, and there was a gentleman there. He was an older fella, and he asked us if we were there. Oh, before he approached us, as we were kind of walking around, I fell. And so everyone was picking me up and he came over and kind of helped and, and asked if, uh, what we were there for and if we were probably there for, to see Charlene's grave. And I said, uh, my mom said, yeah. She said, we don't know where to go. He says, well, I'm headed that direction. Let's go. And so we went and he actually prayed with us. You remember who it was? Well, this will be the interesting part of the story. After that, going to the church afterwards, I failed two more times. Oh, wow. And, and so helped me up again. And the man looked at my mom and he said, um, 
I'm sorry, I fell twice. On the way to the church, the man stopped my mom and he said, you know, God fell three times to his death. Your son only fell twice today. He's going to make it. And my mom just kind of looked at him and said, well, you know, I appreciate that. And he says, you know, I got this book on Charlene. And he goes, I don't even know how to read. I don't know why I got it. He said, can I give it to you? And mom said, well, I don't need your book. She goes, well, I checked it out. Why don't you, why don't you read the book? And then you can send it back to me. And he gave her a name. His last, last name was Mr. Malvo. General Delivery, Sunset, Louisiana. And my mama wrote it on the back of one of her business cards mm-hmm. and took the book. After that, we drove to Lafayette, went to Catholic store. Uh, my mom asked them if they had any of the books from Little Charlene. They said yes. And they came back with this paperback book. And my mom said, no, that's not the book I want. I want this gold hardbound book like this. Mm-hmm. She says, we don't have those books. And um, mom said, okay. So she still bought one. She still bought them. She put the guy's gold hardbound book back in, put his name and address, sent it Sunset General Delivery, and that was the end of it. Book never came back. Everything was good. But over time, my mom kept looking for this gold hardbound book. She eventually got in touch with the lady who wrote the book, and she asked her um, where could she find this gold hardbound book. The lady told my mom, we never published a gold hardbound book. Oh, wow. The only book that we have is the paperback. My mom said, no, he gave me a gold hardbound book. She said, we've never done that. We never did that. You know, you look back on that moment, we were all kind of astonished mm-hmm. a little bit. And mostly my mom, who was, you know, she's the one who had the interaction with this gentleman you know, since then, I've met with little Charlene's brother. I've actually we've written that testimony uh, just last year, and it was sent to help with the canonization. The canonization, right? And uh, and there's actually a guy writing an article on her with the New York Post, mm-hmm. and that I've interviewed with most recently. We've never could figure out who this Mister Malva was. We couldn't find this book, but it was interesting during that moment of going through that. This gentleman making this profound statement to my mom. And then we just stayed in every month. We'd go to little Charlene's grave. We never missed. And we prayed and we put faith in God. And we put it in a, in a moment where it was, you know, maybe it was, it could have been a bad mistake. Mm-hmm. But we kept the faith and we just believed that we were going to make this was going to work out. And it did. I'm 51 years old now. And I made it through with it. And that faith really, I believe, played an integral part in my attitude and everything else after that. Moving forward from there, you know, almost felt unstoppable. And it kind of became, I'm not going to let being an amputee stop me. I will never want to be viewed as handicapped or anything. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get back into a normal life. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've done ever since. I wrestled four years at Lafayette High with one leg. I've never shot away from a challenge or an obstacle. And I've just kind of let all that define me. But Faith has always been a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. God has always been a big part of my life. I think you, I think you have your moments in life where you kind of lose that for a while. I went to church when I was in college and things like that, but you kind of lose your, your sight a little bit. Later in life, you know, I have my faith has probably came back stronger 
but it's right now probably the strongest it's ever been. And I'm probably even stronger than that moment when I told God that my doctor that we're going to put it in God's hands today. You know, we talked about prayer earlier and, and grace. Father Chester and Father Schumacher at Cathedral, where I'm at, was at, once told me that it's the father's job to get his family to heaven. And, and it was like, you know what? I'm going to make sure my kids understand the power of prayer. If, you know, they go into Catholic school and that's great and all. My daughter finished at Pius, by the way. We ingrained that. And grace at the dinner table. And, and it doesn't matter if we're in public. It doesn't matter if we're in a restaurant. It doesn't matter where we are. Right. It doesn't matter who's at the house. We ask them to politely join us in grace because that's where it starts. And I think that in teaching and instilling that faith inside my kids, because with that faith and that trust in the process and that trust in God, I think you can, all things are possible. And um, I think I'm a testament of that. I definitely think you are too. Um, being from Church Point, go ahead, Father Poe. Your turn. Yeah, I was going to ask you if, um, if you ever submitted something for the canonization of Charlene. I did. Because uh, for someone to be canonized a saint, they have to have three miracles attributed to them. God uses natural. The supernatural doesn't go against the nature. It just supersedes it. It's above. So the supernatural is above reason. It doesn't go against reason. And so when miracles happens, these things are above reason. And these things, like what I was talking about, Padre Pio mm-hmm. and a homily, Padre Pio being the miracle man, the only person to ever live that we know that had every spiritual gift known to man. Uh, and this includes bilocation, levitation, reading souls, loquitions is what we call it, but uh, apparitions from Jesus and Mary and his guardian angel, having the stigmata for 50 years and everything else, being able to speak every language known to man without ever studying it. And so uh, these things, God uses miracles to save souls, right? So that why do miracles happen or what constitutes a miracle to happen and why not? Well, you kind of have to probe into the mind of God, which is, you know, no one can do. But what we can say is God allows miracles to happen or not happen for the salvation of souls. So, for instance, there's a sacrament in the church called the anointing of the sick. Anointing of the sick, one of the side effects of the anointing of the sick can be physical healing. It's not necessary, but it can happen. I have seen that. Uh, I have seen people with less than 5% chance to survive, bounce back. Or a very incredible story. Now, I would imagine most priests have seen that because Mm -hmm. it's just proper to that sacrament. Mm -hmm. Uh, But miracles still happen. And why? Because God loves his people. It does not rely on the holiness of the person because God can use a sinful person, and he does every day. Mm -hmm. But He, why does God allow miracles to happen? Because, very simply, he loves his people, and he wants people to be saved. But salvation of my soul takes two to tango. So God wants to save me, but not without me. I have to choose to cooperate with God. And sometimes, sometimes it takes the good Lord to break a heart, to get inside one. But other times, seeing a miracle happen can change someone's heart. Not necessarily. doesn't always happen, but... People witnessing a miracle mm-hmm. can change their heart. 
Absolutely. So I've recently been accepted to the Axe Retreat coming up. I'm super excited. It's going to be my first time. And I was encouraged by a good friend who's now deceased, Mr. Ricky Romero. He was an agent with KW, a spiritual advisor. Matthew Kelly fan. We I never forget the first uh, when I saw the movie Fatima and I called him the next morning and we just broke it down. I had just gotten back from Portugal and just such a good friend and he encouraged me, encouraged me and you know I let life get in the way and I didn't make it a priority and then you came and visited me about a year ago I would say or six months and we spoke about it again and I said you know what I'm going to do this. So I saw it in the bulletin at, at Pius and I applied on the same day that they opened it up. So I was so excited. So um, please keep me in your prayers when I go. But I know you're very involved with the Axe Retreat. How long have you been doing that, Troy? So I made my Axe Retreat in, let's see, May of 2019. Immediately, it just grabbed the whole of me. I guess I thought that I'd go on this retreat, maybe get something out of it. Didn't think it was going to affect me as much as it did. Amazing experience. I immediately teamed the very next one in the fall. I've teamed several. I've co-directed one. And look, the experience is as equal as a, as a team member as it is being a retreatant, I find. Maybe better as a team member. Building that brotherhood or that sisterhood inside the event. It's an amazing community. And, and I have, and I love being around, what's that saying? It says, iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. And I believe that I have people that someone can keep me accountable and I can openly have great conversations about my faith. Many of us now uh, on a frequent basis on Fridays, we meet for uh, a Bible study on Friday mornings. And, you know, that leads into just some amazing discussions. I mean, it's a great way to end the week and bring some clarity. I'm super excited for you because you're just going to come out glowing. It's an amazing event. Well, I'm excited and I haven't even haven't even attended yet. So one, I'm very thankful I was accepted because, you know, several of my friends have tried and it's taken some some of them a couple of tries before they've even gotten accepted. So I'm grateful. I feel life's about timing and I'm thankful that you were introduced at the time of my life when you were. There's no doubt in my mind why you lead the largest real estate agency in Acadiana. Um, I'm sure they follow you because of who you are and you're a wonderful person and with a wonderful story. And I can't thank you enough for everything you do and the leadership you share throughout your organization. And thank you, Father Poyer, for coming here today. I really appreciate both of you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Wrapping up this episode of Mortgage Motivation, advice you can use in life. Thanks once again to Maison Title, our sponsor. Learn more about them at MaisonTitle.com. Follow me on Facebook, Amia Mimi Duce and Team, GMFS Mortgage, NMLS128546. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and remember a new episode every Monday. Until next week. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Motivation with Mimi Duce, branch manager of GMFS Mortgage Acadiana, NMLS 128546, Tennessee License 134733.
GMFS LLC, NMLS ID 64997, Equal Housing Lender. All loans subject to credit approval and satisfactory appraisal. Some products may not be available in all areas. All mortgages are originated by GMFS LLC at 7389 Florida Boulevard, Suite 200A, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70686. Branch is located at 300 Rue Beauregard, Building I, Lafayette, Louisiana, 70508, NMLS 118-3361. 